Welcome to the latest podcast in the Workplace series from the People Mentor, Nicola Richardson. Hi, welcome to the latest podcast from Nicola at the People Mentor. Um, today we're interviewing Robin Woodham. I hope I've said your name right. I say this every time to people because I've always got this fear of getting it wrong. <laughs> Your business is Mindset Coaching and Training. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So welcome, Robin. Thank you. It's great to be here. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your background and your business first. What is it and how long has it been going? Absolutely. Well, as you said, I'm a mindset coach and trainer and my business is called The Mind Advantage. So I help professionals and entrepreneurs deal with any problems they're having and basically get what they want out of life. So sometimes those problems are external problems like kind of communication issues or being made redundant or health problems or, you know, but often these problems are internal and very much getting in the way of the person being the way they want to be. You know, things like limiting beliefs or negative thinking or past experiences that are holding them back or anxiety, depression, overwhelm, you know, the list goes on. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, it, it's very often a mix of the two, you know, issues very rarely exist in isolation. It's much more common that there are a bunch of things going on at once and often those issues are compounding each other, you know, so then it's a matter of teasing it all out and figuring out which changes are going to make the biggest difference and starting from there. Wish I'd known you um, when I was feeling very underconfident in my um, employed role uh, yeah. because I had a manager who absolutely sapped my confidence and, um, and I'd had a new manager come in who spent some time actually working with me and then I got another manager who was a micromanager after mm. him and he absolutely sapped it again because you start yeah. to doubt your ability to make decisions. So yeah. it would have been good to have known you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, like these things can sap our confidence and, you know, they, they can really lead us to question ourselves. And, you know, I have worked with people where it's just been about rebuilding that confidence and then helping them make the move they want to make, whether that is, you know, expressing what they need to their boss or whether that is just getting out of that really toxic environment, because sometimes that's the best thing to do too. Mm. So how long has your business actually been going and where did it start? So it's been uh, going for eight years now. I started up in 2011 and the first seven years of those were in New Zealand, which is where I'm from. Mm -hmm. um, and in that time, I was doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching work, uh, running public workshops and running in-house trainings. Mm -hmm. And then just over a year ago, I moved to the UK. I live just north of Oxford now. Uh, which, as you can imagine, is a pretty challenging move for a coaching business. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, with an 11 or 13 year, uh, hour time difference, depending on the time of year, between mm. England and, uh, and New Zealand. So yeah. most of my clients are now asleep while I'm awake and vice versa. Mm. Um, but, you know, at the same time, coming here opened up the opportunity to do something a little bit different. Um, so now, as well as still doing my one-on-one -on -one coaching work, I'm, I'm also putting my knowledge into an e-learning program for people who really value learning and growth. You know, people who just want to mm. be the best they can be and people who love to inspire other people to be as good as they can be as well. 
So uh, with that program, you get access to new video trainings every week. Uh, and when you sign up, you get instant access to all the existing trainings in the program. And it's, it's all the stuff I have been teaching people and working with people with over the years. You know, things like mindset and how to choose your thinking or how to get motivated and overcome procrastination or how to identify your values and, and create a life that's going to give you fulfillment and happiness. And and of course, very soon I'm going to be recording a series of videos on communication strategies for the program, including conflict resolution, which is, of course, one of the things we're going to talk about today. Oh, wow. That's covering a wide range um, and <laughs> extremely um, useful. You need to uh, share the link. So let me have the link um, when we finish this podcast and we'll share it with, it, with the podcast. So that'd be brilliant. Great. Yeah, yeah that, sounds, that sounds really good. So what prompted you to actually start your business? Was it from skill sets you already had or was there a burning desire of something else? <laughs> well, actually, the, the, the honest answer to that question is a bit of a strange one. Um, and it's probably not one that many people could uh, say is their reason for starting a business because an earthquake actually made me start my business. Oh. Um, as I said, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as I said, I'm from New Zealand and specifically I'm from a place called Christchurch, uh, which over the last nine years has made international news quite a number of times uh, for not very good reasons. Yeah. And um, in 2010, 2011, uh, Christchurch got hit by a number of large earthquakes and the most significant one did a lot of damage to our city and it killed 185 people mm. and I actually wasn't there when that one hit I was at the end of a six-month working holiday in Brisbane in Australia mm -hmm. I was literally three weeks away from returning to New Zealand when it happened mm -hmm. um, we'd been timing our return to New Zealand with um, an NLP practitioner training that uh, we decided to do ages beforehand. I'd absolutely fallen in love with NLP. I really wanted to do it. I had no idea when or how I was going to make that transition, but I knew the next step was the training and it was going to be in Christchurch and then there was going to be the master practitioner training a few months later. And I was like, yes, 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 we're going back for that. And then of course this happened, this enormous earthquake happened and we had to make that decision of, you know, do we go back to Christchurch or not? I mean, is it really smart to return to a city that's a complete wreck? Mm. The uh, whole central city was cordoned off because it was, it was so badly damaged. The infrastructure was damaged. Um, there were aftershocks on a daily basis. And of course, I'd lost my old career. Mm. Uh, I used to teach English as a second language. And basically, you can imagine every single English language student left town when this happened, and there was no they were no way they were going to come back anytime soon. All of my colleagues had lost their jobs, so if we chose to go back, that meant needing a new career so we initially decided it wasn't smart to go back. that was a really, really bad idea. You know why on earth would you do that? And uh, then within a week, we actually realized we both wanted to go back anyway. And so it was a case of screw the earthquakes, we're going home. <laughs> and uh, that meant I needed to do something different. And so I decided, well, look, I've been learning this stuff for a long time. I wasn't really planning to do it yet, but, mm. you know, why not? And so I, I, I dived in. Mm. 
what a what an inspiring story really because it's quite <laughs> different quite different isn't well it? it really is yeah 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 not not your regular kind of reason for starting a business no but, not know, at all not it, at all really challenging there were so many things that were really hard about it because I, I wasn't really ready but at the same time I wouldn't change it you know it, it's been a really rewarding journey and I love what I do so were, were you able to um, start practicing um, as soon as you got there because I'm sure there must have been lots of people who were in need of that help at that point in time yeah, well, I think I um, I initially, when I got back, I went straight up to Wellington. The, the training had to be moved because the venue was damaged. We were shaking on a daily basis. I mean, it just wasn't safe, really. Mm. Uh, so I went up to Wellington and did the training there. And uh, then I came back and, and um, kind of started to, to get ready and launched, I guess, a few months after that really big one. Mm. So by that thing, by that stage, the really acute kind of stuff was was kind of over. And mm. I, I did work with people for earthquake stuff. I mean, I remember one of the first people I did a session with was somebody who um, was on the, gosh, what was she on, the 17th floor of, uh, of one of the mm. highest buildings in Christchurch. And that building ended up on a massive lean. Uh, everybody thought it was going to come crashing down. And it managed to somehow stay up um, through many, many aftershocks. And it had to be taken down brick by brick. And, you know, obviously with uh, a lot of health and safety oh. taken into account. Yeah. Um, but she had been on the 17th floor of that building and she um, was at a medical conference. She was a nurse. And so as soon as she got down, she made her way, uh, I guess she was trying to just leave the central city, but came across a triage centre that had been set up in a wee park. Mm. Um, and it was right next to a building that had collapsed. And, and that is where most of the people who died that day uh, lost their lives. Right. And so we worked in that triage center, you know, right through the afternoon and the night, right through like hundreds of aftershocks. Mm. And she kind of felt like she was over that. But at the same time, she was having uh, nightmares every night. Mm. And they were no longer about the earthquake, but the nightmares were still happening. Right. And so, you know, in the end, we kind of went, well, look, did you have any nightmares before this happened? No, I didn't. So it's like, right, we're going to do some trauma clearing around that day. And yeah. so that's what we did. We we cleared the trauma around that. And sure enough, the nightmares stopped. So um, so I certainly over the years done mm. quite a bit of work with people for earthquake stuff, uh, insurance battles that ensued, you know, people were just waiting for earthquakes to hit because that was what was happening. And mm. so everybody was very much on edge. And, yeah. you know, Christchurch is still showing the effects of that today. Um, but, you know, less so now. People don't normally come for earthquake stuff specifically, but it's like you work with all this other stuff and then it's like, okay, hey, you know, we've kind of done what we wanted to do. There's, you know, we've got a little bit of time left. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Mm. And then they go, well, and then the earthquake comes up. So, oh, right. Yeah. So it's still sitting there in the background. Absolutely. Even yeah. even kids who weren't born at the time are showing effects from it. Uh, the anxiety in their parents. Um, you know, there are there are kids with phobias of things that have never really shown up before. Mm. Um, you know, my supervisor was telling me years ago she was working with a bunch of kids all at once who had phobias of of weather, and you know it was all earthquake stuff. So it's it's very mm. interesting what can happen. 
Mm, fascinating and certainly um, shows the depth of what you've had to deal with so that's really interesting mm, mm. so I asked you onto this podcast because um, you made a comment on difficult conversations and I was really intrigued by um, your experience and your knowledge um, so I really want to ask you today um, how do you deal with conflict Robin? Well, there are several aspects to dealing with conflict effectively. And I mean, the first thing is actually the way you think about conflict itself, because thinking about conflict evokes images of yelling and screaming and calling each other names. And, you know, conflict's about upset and hurt and winners and losers. And, mm. and that's just horrible. So anytime you think about conflict, it's, it's kind of kind of evoke all of those images and then a physical reaction to all of that. And, and that's mm. just a pretty horrible way to think about it. So when I think about conflict, I really like to add a word and think about conflict resolution mm. because conflict resolution is where you sit down and you talk to each other and you're respectful and you listen, you ask questions and you endeavor to understand the other person. And you know, when you listen to other people, you suddenly find that they're willing to listen to you. Mm. So, you know, yeah. when you truly resolve conflict, each of you can walk away feeling really good about the conversation you've just had. I mean, conflict, actual conflict damages relationships, but effective conflict resolution can actually strengthen them mm -hmm. and add understanding and respect. So that's the first thing I'd say about conflict is really think about it in terms of resolving it, mm -hmm. you know, not in terms of the conflict itself. Yeah, that's a really good tip, I think. I think, yeah. you know, because we, people do go on the defensive, don't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, people think they're not going to get heard, that, you know, they're not going to be understood, you know, and, and, and we do, you know, therefore our heart rates go up, our emotional temperature goes up, you know, we speak louder, we speak harsher and we stop listening. And, mm -hmm. and you know, those things are oh, not good, not yeah. good. <laughs> so from there where would you then move on to what would you what would your other suggestions be well I think one thing that's absolutely key is to make sure wherever possible that you are both calm before you have a conversation mm. like this mm. uh, there's a, a relationship researcher by the name of John Gottman really interesting guy he's been studying relationships literally for decades mm -hmm. and one of the things he would do is he would invite couples to come into what he called his love lab and uh, he would get them to talk about things that were unresolved issues in their relationship and he would kind of monitor these conversations see what was happening in them of course he followed up over time checked all the patterns there's, there's lots of stuff he discovered from this but one of the things he discovered is that if one or other um, person's heart rate got above 95 beats per minute, the conversation was basically doomed. All right. And when he started noticing this, he then of course figured, right, I need to test this. I need to make sure of this. So what he started doing was this, as soon as he noticed that one or other person's heart rate was above 95 beats per minute, mm -hmm. he would go and knock on the door and he would say, look, 
I'm so, so sorry. You guys are doing really well. You're doing exactly what I've asked. I really appreciate it, but we've got a problem with the equipment and I don't want to miss anything. So it's really important that we reset it and get it working again. So please just sit quietly, just hang fire, hold right there. And as soon as I've got it working again, I'm going to come back in and I'm going to let you know that you can start again and get you to pick up from exactly where you are now. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so he'd then close the door and he'd go and sit out the back and just kind of, you know, <laughs> fill in a little bit of time, you know, just sit and wait. And of course, that's exactly what they were doing, sitting quietly. And while they're doing that, their heart rates start to come down. And so then when they were both safely well back under 95 beats per minute, he'd go knock on the door again and he'd say, oh, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate that. We've got it all working again. So please just pick up exactly where you left off. Mm -hmm. And at this point, there would be some kind of resolution. It would be a much calmer conversation. And, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be that nay, now we actually agree with each other on everything. You know, that might never happen, especially with a real values difference. But they would be understanding each other again, respecting each other again, and having a good conversation about it rather than a conflict about it. Mm, interesting. So, yeah. So being calm really, really matters. Mm. And, you know, related to that, sitting down i really recommend you just get people to sit down because <laughs> it puts people at the same height which mm -hmm. really matters particularly if there's a big height difference between the two of you because otherwise you know there's that suggested inequality one person automatically has more power because mm. they're actually higher than the other person so by sitting down it puts them at the same height and that suggests equality because then that's really important because both people need to be able to talk and both people need to be able to be heard mm. yeah that's so such a good tip as well so then of course it's a matter of, well, what do you say and how do you say it? And that really, really matters. And there are two key parts to this. Mm -hmm. So there's the part of what do I say to express my side of the story? Mm. And then there's the bit about when the other person says something to me, how do I respond to what they say? And mm. both parts are equally important if you want to successfully resolve that conflict situation. Mm -hmm. So the first part then, the part that says, well, how do I express myself effectively? How do I explain my side of the story? And remembering your aim here is to do it in a way that's not going to inflame the situation. You want to do it in a way that is most likely to be well received by the other person. Mm -hmm. So your opening sentence, if you're the one starting that conversation, your opening sentence really matters. It is a massive predictor of the success of the entire conversation. Mm. And what we really want to do in that opening sentence and in every other sentence you produce is what's called iMessages. Now, iMessages basically focus on me. They focus on my thoughts, my opinion, my point of view, what I think, what I'm perceiving in here. Mm. Now, the other thing, of course, is you really want to soften your language as much as possible. So, you know, there's a big difference between these two sentences. You could start by saying, look, I'm a, I'm a little bit concerned about what just happened here. That's fairly soft. It's fairly neutral. Or you could say, oh, God, you completely stuffed that up, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, they're sentences that talk about the same situation, but they make a big difference in terms of the outcome of that conversation. That's right. Realistically, I mean, as soon as you find yourself focusing on you, saying the word you a lot, you are on dangerous ground. Mm -hmm. Do we ever come out with sentence that says you're such a, or you always, or you (laughs) never, then you are in big trouble. (laughs) You're right. It inflames, doesn't it? It really does, you know, because then we just get on the defensive. Like Mm -hmm. none of us like to feel attacked or misunderstood or, you know, even if it's justified, even if we do always and we don't ever, you know, like we don't want to have that come our way. That's no fun. No, so you're right because you do. You just automatically go into defence mode. Absolutely, absolutely. So if you are then opening a conversation about something the other person is doing then you need to be really really careful mm-hmm. and you need to be really careful with your language and for that opening sentence there is a bit of a structure that you can follow and it's worth looking at it and it, it goes like this so it says when you behavior the result for me is concrete effect Mm-hmm. And I feel emotion. Mm-hmm. So when you behavior, the result for me is concrete effect and I feel emotion. Mm. Now, yeah. when you describe somebody's behavior, the absolute key is to keep your language neutral, to keep mm-hmm. it non judgmental. And this is a lot harder than it sounds. Very much so. so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like if, for example, we're having a conversation and I'm deciding I'm not very happy with this conversation, my emotional temperature is going up, and in the end I go, you know what, fine, mm-hmm. yep, whatever, I get up, I stomp out of the room and I slam the door behind me. Sounds like a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and um, if you want to describe that behaviour, if you said something like, look, when you throw a complete temper tantrum, like, I'm immediately going to get my back up. What do you mean I'm throwing a big complete temper tantrum? I was not throwing it. Mm. Well, how do you say that, right? Mm. Or if you say something like, you know, when you stomp out of the room and slam the door behind you, I can immediately go, I did not stomp out of the room. I just yeah. left on him and I did not slam the door. The wind caught it. Oh, I've used that one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, either way, it's like you end up arguing about what you're even trying to talk about, mm. you know, and that's no good. So you need to keep your language really neutral, really non-judgmental, bring it back to its absolute basics. And then it sounds something like this. When you finish the conversation early and leave the room, right? <laughs> I can't really argue with that. There's no judgment in there. It's a statement. Yeah. It's really simple. And then we can keep going. Then we can actually start to talk about it. So describing somebody's behavior, really, really important how we do that. Mm-hmm. That's so then, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So then the, the result for me is concrete effect. Now, when we talk about a concrete effect, this is something that anybody would agree that absolutely, yes, that thing happened. So, for example, when you leave your dirty dishes on the bench after you've made your lunch, the result for me is that I have to clear stuff away before I can make mine. Mm. Right? You yeah. Go, oh, okay. 
yeah, no, fair enough. Yep, that, that's true. Like, I, I can't dispute that. You know, and that's what we want, is we want to actually talk about the issue, not dispute what the issue is. Mm. Yeah. So then the last part of that sentence then, when you behavior, the result for me is concrete effect and I feel emotion. And the key thing here is when you're describing how you're feeling, mm. be very, very careful of the word angry. Mm. Because anger is a really strong, and negative emotion and it makes people feel very defensive in return either they'll generate their own anger in return they'll run away or they'll attack mm. and so you know where possible we want to avoid that word and consider what's the feeling that's under the anger you know mm. what actually is the real problem here and i mean you know let, let's kind of consider this sentence you know same same situation but described with two different feelings now let's say it's a behavior that somebody's using they're speaking to you in a way that you really don't like mm -hmm. there's not really a, a concrete effect you know there's not something that everybody would agree as a, a result of that so we just leave that part of the sentence out but there's definitely an emotional effect mm. and so compare when you speak to me that way I feel really angry as compared with when you speak to me that way, I feel really hurt. Mm. You know, like there's a really big difference between those two sentences and they evoke a completely different reaction. Yeah. You kind of feel really sorry and sad that you've made somebody feel hurt. Don't you? Exactly. Exactly. And so then the conversation is completely different from that point, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, really matters. Gosh. So, that's how you bring it all together then. When you behavior, the result for me is concrete effect and I feel emotion. And, you know, that's your opening sentence when you're not happy about what the other person has done or said or whatever. But, you know, right from that point, you know, whether you are opening the conversation or whether you are continuing an existing conversation, it is about those things, keeping your language neutral, you know, not using the word anger, explaining your feelings, mm -hmm. you know, all of those things and, and just keeping it nice and calm. That sounds absolutely logical. And actually yeah. the more I think about it, you're right. So the times I've seen people react when you use the word anger uh, you're making me feel angry um and that definitely doesn't work you're right yeah no, no, no it really doesn't yeah so, that's really useful yeah so then from there of course it's a matter of well how do you respond to what the other person says because they're going to respond to your i message or sometimes they're going to start the conversation because they're not happy you know and you may know what they're unhappy about and you may not have any idea and it may be something else and it may be you <laughs> <laughs> so regardless you know you need to be able to respond effectively to what that person says and this is the bit where people often fall down. They're so busy trying to express their own point of view, mm. they forget to actually show the other person that they're listening to theirs. Mm. So what we need to do then, when the other person says something to you or replies to what you've said, we need to reflective listen that. So reflective listening is basically reflecting back the messages that you're getting from them. Mm -hmm. You could do that by repeating their exact words. You could do that by paraphrasing what they've just said. You could do that 
by uh, paraphrasing the, uh, not paraphrasing, by reflecting back the emotions that you were getting from that person. Like it sounds like you're really confused or it sounds like you're really upset about this. You can even reflect gestures, you know, if somebody crosses their arms, closes their mouth very firmly and looks away from you, you know, you could say, well, it looks like you don't really want to talk about this right now. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so basically though, you know, why do we do this? Three key reasons. When we reflective listen, lets people know they're being heard and mm-hmm. everybody wants to be heard. I mean, I know for me, if I've got something really important to say and I'm trying to say it to somebody and I don't think they're getting my message, I want to say it again and I want to say it louder until they get it. <laughs> exactly. And that's helpful. Whereas if somebody kind of repeats back what I've just said, they go, okay, so you're really worried about the situation and you're not sure what to do. Well, yeah, right? Now I know I'm being heard, so I don't need to say it again. They're getting me. They're understanding me. And that helps me feel calm. And that makes me know that I'm being listened to. And that's really, really important. Yeah. So so then, of course, the other thing about reflective listening, it checks understanding. Because if you reflective listen somebody and you reflective listen incorrectly, they'll, they'll correct you. They'll just say, well, actually, it's not quite that. It's this. Mm. And that really matters. This is something I do when I work with clients. I mean, I don't want to try and take somebody down a a solution path until I know exactly what that problem is. Because if I think I know what the problem is, but I'm wrong, Mm. and I start going down some sort of a path with solution or suggestions or advice or anything like that, but I'm wrong about what the problem was, then I'm going down the wrong path. Mm. So checking understanding that's the second reason we reflective listen and the third reason we reflective listen is because it gives you time to think Mm. you know like you need to kind of consider what you want to say in return and you get that time to think because all you need to do is repeat back what they've just said and wait for them to nod and go yeah that's what i was saying so reflective listening really really matters you're right it does Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know I was working with somebody, uh, a mother, um, a couple of years ago and I was teaching her this stuff and she said, you know, this is what I need to do because she says, you know, my, I I feel like I'm listening. I feel like I I'm trying to help my kids. And sometimes they just tell me, mom, you're not listening to me. Mm. And she's going, but I am listening to you and I'm trying to help you. And she was very much a solution sort of person. So she would jump in with her. Well, why don't you do this or do that? This will solve it. But actually, she wasn't taking the time to fully understand the problem first. So really, really matters. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what? This is so useful. Thank you. Good. Good. I'm pleased. So then we put all of that together. So the conflict resolution sequence goes like this. If at all possible, everyone needs to be calm first. We find a neutral or a positive space. Remember, if, if that space, if the room that you're inviting them into has any negative associations for either of you, you're putting one of you at a disadvantage. So find a space that's neutral or positive. Hmm. Sit down. It puts people at the same level. If possible, give the other person a chance to speak first. You know, like, let them speak. If, if it's a situation where they're not happy, they want to talk. Let them do it. Mm. Or if it's a situation where they're unaware of the conversation you're going to have, but you need to let them know of something that you're not too happy about, then open the conversation with a gentle eye message. Non-judgmental. 
you know, really nice, gentle, softened iMessage. The mm. person's then going to respond to your iMessage and you reflective listen their response. And when they've nodded their agreement and they're waiting for a reply, then they're ready for you to respond. You can deliver another iMessage. Then they're going to respond to you. You reflective listen their response and the conversation continues. Mm. I mean, sometimes, of course, you need to put in a few well-placed questions, find out more information. You know, sometimes you need to brainstorm, agree upon some strategies for the future, all of that stuff. But that's the basic structure of true conflict resolution. Mm, really fascinating. So when you say iMessages, do you, do you mean just use your eyes to convey um, mm. that sort of um, opening, welcoming kind of approach? Look so at them iMessages are just any message that focuses on me, my opinion, what I think. I mean, if I give you an example, I uh, had a rental property in that was damaged in the quakes. Uh, I was very fortunate in that it wasn't damaged terribly, terribly much. Um, I was still able to have tenants live in the house, but it did have to be rebuilt. And it was one of six townhouses on the property. And number four, five, and six, I was number six, mm -hmm. uh, all had to be rebuilt. And the whole rebuild process, I mean, planning all of this, you know, like it, it took a long time to happen. Mm. And, um, and there was, I mean, basically then, of course, it got harder and harder to find tenants because we kept being given a time frame and it's like, okay, it's going to start next May. Oh no, it's not going to happen till October now. It's not going to happen till December now. You know, like this just kept happening. But at a certain point, I was given the word that it's going to happen in six months and my tenants were moving out. Right. And so I needed to find new tenants. So this is a property that's now starting to look a little bit run down because there's not a whole lot of point putting too much into a property that's going to be knocked down. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so what happened then is I needed to find new tenants and uh, the rental agents contacted me one day and they said, look, we've found three women in their 20s who are keen to move in. They can't offer any references because the two of them have just come back from overseas and one of them has been flashing, mm -hmm. uh, which is... I'm not sure if that's a term used here, but sharing with other people. Um, and, um, and they can move in on the day you, they, that you want, move out on the day you want, um, but they, oh, they're willing to pay what you ask, but they have a dog. One of them's got a German shepherd. <laughs> and in the end, I was like, well, they can't offer references. Okay, nothing much I can do about that. Um, mm. In the end, I said, look, just go for it. Because the reality is, I'm I'm going to have a hard time finding tenants for this. Mm. So, you know what? We'll take a chance on it. We'll just go for it. And if they trash the house, bad luck, it's coming down anyway. So it <laughs> doesn't mm. matter too much. So, of course, the day after these people move in, uh, the dog arrives. And when the dog arrives, I get a phone call from the person at number four. Mm. And she says to me this. She's like, did you know they've got a dog? <laughs> and I automatically thought, oh, she's not happy. Yeah. And so I just said, well, yes, I was aware they had a dog. And she goes, well, and I said, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> and, uh, and she says, well, people in inner city apartments should not have dogs that size in a yard that size. And she's not happy. We've got a bit of a situation here. So I reflective listened what she just said to me. And I said, okay, so you don't think that people with a, a, a dog that size should be living in a house like this? And, and she says, no, I don't. 
which means she's basically just agreed with my reflective listen. Yeah. So I then delivered an iMessage. And what I said was, well, you know, I, I, I agree with you. Like I wouldn't choose to have a dog that size in a yard that size either. Mm. And not, not, but this is another thing for communication. The word and is really powerful, but says, forget everything I've just said and says, keep everything I've just said. And I want to add something else. So Mm. really, really. So I said, well, you know, I agree with you. I wouldn't choose to have a dog that size in a yard that size either. And you know, that that's her decision. I mean, it's her dog. That's a decision she needs to make. Mm. She couldn't really argue with that one. So she came up with her next point and she says, well, you know what's going to happen, don't you? That dog is going to come out and it's going to shit all over the driveway. Excuse the language. <laughs> shit all over the driveway. And you know who's going to have to clean it up? Me. That's who. Me. <laughs> and so I reflective listen. She stopped. She's waiting for my answer. And I said, okay, so you're worried that the dog is going to shit over the driveway and they're not going to clean it up. Is that right? <laughs> and she says, yes, I am. And I said, okay, well, what I can do is this. She's ready for my iMessage now. She's listening. What I can do is this. I can call the rental agent and ask them to call the tenant and just reinforce that the dog, obviously, if it does happen to be out on the driveway, that it's on a leash and that if it does make a mess on the driveway, that they clean it up straight away. Mm -hmm. They don't look very responsible. I don't think they'll do that. Okay. So reflective listen again. So you're concerned that they don't look very responsible. And she says, no, I'm not. I don't think they are. Okay. She stopped. She's waiting for me. Time for another iMessage. And, uh, and so I said, well, you know what? I, I actually don't know because I haven't met them, but I have to trust that my rental agents have made a good decision here. Mm-hmm. Now, she kept going for 15 minutes. And mm-hmm. I just kept reflective listening what she was saying, and I kept delivering iMessages. I just kept giving her my point of view. At no point did I go on to the you, like, you know what, you're being completely unreasonable here. You just need to put up with it. I've already signed a contract. I can't get out of it. You're just going to have to deal with it. Mm. Like, you know, I didn't say any of that. It was quite tempting. Mm. Um, But, you know, it it took me 24 hours because she followed that up with an email. um, (laughs) I just kept reflective listening and, you know, and then reminding her as well that that this was a human person that lived across from her that Mm -hmm. had this you know, and she did calm down in the end. So, you know, I I was pleased about that because in the end, you know, this was a person that I had to see. Uh, She wasn't a friend. Um, I certainly wasn't interested in in trying to have her become one after that. Mm. Uh, But, you know, I did need to see her and it was good to have that at least be polite. Um, The right approach. Definitely. That's it. You know, it could have caused a very big problem, which would have impacted the other neighbors, would have impacted the entire rebuild team. And that would have been a really big problem. So it was good to, to have the skills to be able to just deal with that effectively. Um, you know, not escalate myself in, mm. in response and, and, you know, just, just put that one to rest. No, that's been so useful. Thank you for that. Um, I, think, I think listeners are going to really benefit from listening to this and um, I certainly should be applying some of this in future so thank you Robin. Good, uh, good. So um, what made you train in NLP? Let me get it right. 
<laughs> well, you know, the, the simple answer is that I fell in love with it. Uh, I found out about NLP when I met my partner, uh, Andy, uh, 12 years ago, mm -hmm. and he was fascinated by it. He was studying it in his spare time because he thought it was so cool. And he started telling me these stories. And, um, and you know, like when Andy tells stories, admittedly, you know, like they're, they're often quite tall stories. And, and I was a little bit like, mm, I'm not quite sure about everything he's telling me here. <laughs> but at the same time, it was really interesting. And I had a love of psychology. I'd majored in psychology at university, but I wasn't ready to use it at that time. And, and this kind of got me back towards uh, my love of it mm -hmm. and so I was really interested in it and then we actually came here uh, to Oxford so Andy is from Oxford originally from a little town called Kidlington and, and of mm -hmm. course that's the reason we've moved back is, is because his parents are getting a bit older and his mum's been having some health challenges but at that stage um, you know we um, we were here just for a, a, a holiday for a couple of months mm -hmm. and um, and one of the things he'd done was he'd brought some NLP materials with him. And um, there was one day he was listening to um, an audio of a master practitioner training. Um, just, you know, because it was fun, because he's interested in it. And I sat mm -hmm. down and I started listening with him. Mm. And in any NLP practitioner or any NLP training um, practitioner or beyond, um, what they do is, is they'll kind of, you know, teach you a, a technique. And part of teaching that technique is they will get one of the people who is a student in that room to come up and be a demonstration subject, be a bit of a guinea pig and, and mm -hmm. kind of so we'll see how it works in real life. Mm. And, um, and so this happened on the audio and the, uh, the person came up and you know the, they worked through their problem with the instructor and listening to this demonstration what was really clear is that she had a problem she had a problem she had a problem she had a problem and then problem gone wow it that quickly mm. and that was really really cool it was just all of a sudden it wasn't a problem anymore and it was mm. just like oh my god and i remember getting to the end of that uh, that section and and then just thinking like wow like I've got no idea what that guy did or how he did it but that was really cool and it got me really interested mm. and then I think it was literally the next day I picked up one of Andy's books also an NLP book and a book called The Heart of the Mind it's mm. by Stephen Connie Ray Andreas two of the big names in NLP and this book has uh, each chapter has a case study of somebody who came in with a particular problem. They outline what the person's problem was. They look at then how they help them with it. Mm -hmm. And chapter one, as I recall, was um, a woman who came in with stage fright. She had a real fear of public speaking. Mm -hmm. And as I read this chapter, it was like, oh, okay, that's what's going on for her. Gee, I never thought of that. But like, that's, that's really interesting. And then it outlined how they helped her change it. And I got to the end of the chapter and I was really excited because it was like, I really get that. Like, I understand it. I understand how that worked. Like I understand what the problem was and why that was happening. And I understand why they did what they did and how they changed it. And now she doesn't have this problem anymore. And then I read the whole book, you know, like I just loved it. And that got me started. You know, I ended up um, attending the next time I came here, 
going to um, an Oxford NLP group that met once a month. And that was my first experience of having those changes for myself mm-hmm. and having these aha moments. And then I haven't looked back from there. Wow. So that's really interesting. I could interview for you for hours. We're, we're unfortunately running out of time. So we'll have to reschedule another one, I think, Robin, because you're fascinating and your tips are brilliant. So, it's, really cool. it's good fun. I could talk about this stuff for hours, I assure Yeah, you. well, I think we ought to do another one, definitely. So, um, so I'm just going to end with, what is the biggest tip you would share with other business owners for them to take away from this podcast? Well. I think that one thing I am a big proponent of, one thing I'd really love people to go away with today is this, that the more knowledge you have and the more tools you have, the better you'll do when things are going well and the quicker you'll be able to turn things around when they're not. Mm. And I mean, you know, conflict resolution, for example, and, and, you know, beyond that, communication in general, the more strategies you have to be an effective communicator and to resolve conflict effectively, the better. You know, as a business owner, the more strategies you have to Mm. effectively run your business, the better your business is going to go. And then, of course, for you personally, the more tools you have for yourself, the more tools you have to motivate yourself or pull yourself up when you're struggling, the better you can perform. And that's going to result in a better business, better relationships, better health, better happiness and and well-being in general. So, you know, I really recommend investing in yourself. Mm. Give yourself tools. Let yourself grow. Give yourself those opportunities, you know learn grow develop yourself ask for help if you need it and you know embrace opportunities that come your way wow that's a really positive way to end this podcast robin so thank you so much i really mean it i want to interview you again so um, (laughs) great that's lovely so well that's it for today um thank you robin for your time and for the excellent tips this is the people mentor signing off until next time Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you need any help or advice, please contact Nicola on Nicola Richardson at thepeoplementor.co.uk. The People Mentor, driving your business forward.